HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program was brought to you by Eat on North. Eat on North is a casual restaurant where honest, uncomplicated food is served without pretension. Find Eat on North at hotelonnorth.com. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Greenhorns, this is Severin, and this is Greenhorns Radio, radio for young farmers, by young farmers. Today we're learning more about fisheries, because as land creatures we are inadequately literate of what goes on in the sea and the decisions that are being made, the institutions that are being made there to preserve the commons. Um, I'm joined today, I'm joined today, I was looking for your last name, Linda, Linda, by Linda, Benkin, who is an Alaska fisherwoman. Welcome to the show, Linda. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So I heard that you have just returned from a trip to Washington, D.C., um, on a lobbying trip. And would you mind just giving an introduction of yourself and what you were doing there? I... I'm having a little difficulty hearing you, but I'll give you a a quick introduction. I am a commercial fisherman based in Sitka, Alaska. I hook and line fish for halibut and black cod and salmon, and I commercial fish largely to support my nonprofit habit of being involved on a lot of fisheries management issues and um, local foods issues. I'm director of Alaska Longline Fishermen's Association, which, among other programs, launched Alaska's first community-supported fisheries project, Alaskan Zone, and also a founding board member of the Alaska Sustainable Fisheries Trust, which is designed to help young people get started in Alaska's fisheries. So the reason that I heard about, is that better on the sound? The reason that I heard about the Alaska Sustainable Fisheries Trust is that the Alaska Marine Conservation Council invited me to come to Alaska this past month and meet with and speak with uh, some of the groups working in the local food and in the um, graying of the fleet situation. I wonder if you could explain the kind of graying of the fleet situation and kind of the character of the fisheries economy and why young people need help. 
The cost of accessing Alaska's fisheries has gone up dramatically over the past 10 to 15 years. The fisheries are all managed under a limited access or quota share system where to start fishing in those fisheries, you have to buy those privileges or access rights from another fisherman. So it's expensive. There's high risks. As everybody knows, fish stocks, the oceans fluctuate, and so um, you may buy in at a time when stocks are strong, and then they cycle down. There's risks of climate change, ocean acidification. Um, so what we look to do is to support young people who are coming in in a way that that shares those risks and lowers the cost of entry um, to help them get started because we have seen a very dramatic trend towards older average age in the fisheries, less people coming in um, as young people, people who live in our coastal communities. And in Alaska, those communities, our communities are really remote. Most of them are off the road system. And there are very few alternative employment opportunities. Commercial fishing is intrinsic to our culture, to our way of life, and to the economy here. So we see it as a really significant issue and a really important way to keep Alaska's resource and Alaska's communities healthy. Okay, so there's a lot happening. So maybe um, the first question is kind of you're talking about some of the phenomena in the sea of buying in quota that we are familiar with and from the land community of buying land and access to land being such a big issue. Um, and and you're saying community-supported fisheries is a way to keep more dollars in your pocket. We're familiar as young farmers' audience with community-supported agriculture as a way to share risk and get money up front of, in the front of the season. Um, could you explain a little bit the character of the salmon fishing is, industry vis-a-vis, -vis, like, the canneries and the world price? Because I think that's really different context than farmers are familiar with, and I think it helps us understand the baseline for um, how to understand some of these issues. I would agree there's a lot of similarities in what small fishermen are up against to what small farmers are up against, where um, a lot of the policy, a lot of the markets, a lot of the way food moves is geared for the more industrial scale model. So um, getting started as an independent person in fishing or in farming probably has a lot of, a lot of similarities that I see in that way. Um, our fisheries are affected by world markets. Um, most of the fish, only 1% of the fish that's caught off Alaska stays in Alaska. The rest of it goes all over the world um, to markets. And so when there's a lot of farm salmon, for example, coming onto the markets from Chile or other parts of the world, it can bring the prices for our wild-caught wild fish down dramatically. That's something we saw happen this year um, in Alaska, and that makes it very challenging for for our fishermen. And will you explain also a little bit the quota system that you mentioned earlier? Um, when I spoke with Matt Allward from the Bullet, Bulletproof Net, he said, you know, he bought in his quota and his right to fish, his nets, his boat, all his gear, he bought it you know, used, and the price of his gear has gone up dramatically because the value of the fish has gone up so much. 
Could you explain um, some of how the quota impacts? Sure. Um, so our cost, salmon fishery. Entry. I'm sorry. But, yeah, no, cost of entry. Right. So our salmon fisheries are managed under a limited entry program where a person buys a license to fish and then they catch as much fish as they can in a given amount of time. Our halibut and sable fish fisheries are managed under an individual fishing quota program where fishermen, people buy a percentage of the quota, shares in the quota, that fluctuates on an annual basis is the total amount of fish that can be harvested is, is adjusted. So you know in the beginning of the season how much fish you can go out and catch. Um, as the abundance of halibut or sable fish stocks change, the amount of fish you can catch can change dramatically. If you've borrowed money to buy in, those loan payments may not change in a traditional loan, but the amount of fish you catch and therefore the amount of money you, you generate from your catch can, can really change. And we've seen that happen in the halibut fishery where our quotas were reduced by 75% and people were still staring down huge payments. Um, so that's what's made it really difficult for new fishermen and the uh, dynamic we're trying to, to change by sharing that risk between established fishermen, people in the communities who care about keeping young fishermen from these communities involved and in, uh, helping launch new people. So when I was there um, speaking and learning um, with the Alaska Marine Conservation Council, what I really realized was that um, the the conservation of the of the resource, as everybody called it, of the fish, is really just a proxy for the conservation of the whole ecosystem and the whole um, river system and its associated ocean and the whole habitat of the fish. And that the fish um, that the fish are not able to vote, and neither are most of the creatures that are living in that ecosystem. But that the Having local fishermen and really engaged, civically minded, uh, and kind of locally embedded fishermen is really the only way for those fish to be represented in our democracy. And um, but when I talked in Maine, when I was talking to people in Maine about, well, what does it take to become a young fisherman in order to prepare myself to come to Alaska, they all said, oh, well, you should just go to Alaska if you want to be a young fisherman. And yet when I was in Alaska, people kept talking about Maine and um, talking about how there was an apprenticeship program and easier ways to get in. And that's similar in farming. We're always pointing at the example of another, another part of the country that we think has done part of the work better. Um, but could you explain a little bit um, the, the new entrance system that they have in Maine and compare that with the Alaska Sustainable Fisheries Trust? Well, I, my understanding of, uh, I only know a bit about the program in Maine, but um, in Maine the lobster permits, for example, are held by the state and they have programs to choose new people as they, as permits become available and they are specific about those new entrants being residents of Maine. Um, here in Alaska, our fisheries are um, the federally managed fisheries. We don't have a program that restricts 
who can purchase the quota to people who are residents of Alaska. Those fisheries are taking place outside of state waters. Um, and as the price of that quota goes up, so too does the interest from people and all around the country and investing in that quota and, and realizing those returns. So we've looked for a way and have developed a way for local people to invest and share the risk with new entrants. Um, we also have a small internship program where we help people who haven't fished get out on a boat and experience commercial fishing, get a little bit of experience and a sense of whether it's a, a way of life and a, a way of working that um, suits them. Um, so we have similar programs um, in a different context. They had to they had to evolve to fit the context, but I think at least with similar goals. So I think this is really amazing that there's this con concerted effort. You know, especially in Alaska, where we think of like. Um, you know, like the Yukon or people going off to Alaska and being wild and woolly and making it on their own, to see that there are programs that will support new entrants into the, into the sector, similar to what we have in the ranch sector, and thinking about the Kivira Coalition right now because they're having their conference, and they run the Kivira Young Ranchers Program, um, supporting new ranchers. Um, but... From, a from the point of view of the fishery community as a whole, it feels like um, some of that mentorship and facilitation and helping the incoming generation is also important because excuse me, because we want to have um, fisher people who are ec more ecologically literate and better able to steward the resource, or at least that sounds nice. And I wonder if you could reflect on... Um, what kind of background or what kind of training or what kind of kind of conservation mindedness um, actually how does that actually play out in the fishery well i can I can speak to the programs that we launched. We require fishermen who are well I should say first we encourage all fishermen to be part of a fishery conservation network that we've started where fishermen work with each other, work with scientists to share information and address resource issues that they help us identify or that we identify as um, either threats to the productivity of the resource or threats to the viability of sustainable small boat fisheries. We require people who apply to our trust for support to be part of that network and to be contributing to the long-term health of their, their fisheries. We also mentor them in business practices, and our intent is to engage them as well um, in policy issues. We draw on the seafood that they deliver for our Community Supportive Fisheries Program, where we provide seafood locally and to other parts of the state. Um, so, and to, to build through that the connection of these fishermen who care about the resource and make those commitments to the voting public, the democracy that you talked about, the people who can be the voice for the fish and the voice for healthy fisheries. So, in a sense, you're, um, because you're kind of a more highly facilitated kind of access, like you have a special market, you have um, special services and support you're able to demand or you're able to enforce 
a higher level of engagement on these ecological and educational um, initiatives. Can you explain to me, um, like in Young Farmer World, we have the same thing. We have challenges to get access to land. Um, a lot of people in the stock market world wanting to get out of the stock market world and starting to invest in, um, not in fisheries, but in land and in agricultural land. And as well, we have holiday homeowners in the same way you guys have um, recreational fishers. And these make it really challenging for beginning farmers to affordably access um, the means of production. I wonder, um, and so in the farm, in the young farmer world, we have land trusts where, and community land trusts and community finance where people who care about their local landscape are investing to preserve farmland and make it available, especially through option to purchase at agricultural value, make it available to beginning farmers. I wonder if you could explain some of the motivations for those who engage similarly through the Sustainable Fisheries Trust and um, maybe a little bit about the scale and success of that program. Sure. Well, we, we started our Alaska Sustainable Fisheries Trust with a um, model working with a fiduciary partner and, and trying to access program-related investment funds. Um, at some point, that we saw the limits to that, and um, a few years ago actually took the model that we are now moving ahead with from farmland trusts that um, we learned about and studied in the California and Oregon areas. So the model we're using comes directly from what's happening in the land world of acquiring land to keep it in farmland, make it available to um, young farmers. It's exactly the approach that we're taking to develop a model where people who either live in these communities or from outside that care about healthy oceans, healthy fishing communities, can um, provide that, that startup investment, share that risk with new people coming in and provide access to the fishery. So very similar goals, really similar model, and um, hopefully with the same positive results that you're seeing in the, in the farmland world. And what kind of scale are you um, at at this point? You know, like in farmland, in um, conservation easements right now cover in the United States, I think it's 17 million acres of land, but the majority of that is wildland, not farmland. And obviously you guys are fishing in the wild. But um, for us, the, the, the part of the conservation movement that's directly focused on agriculture is still quite limited. And, of course, my goal is for that to increase. Um, how many fisher people are a part of your territory, and um, where do you see the growth of that going, or like, what are the incentives, or how do you sell it to your investors, I guess, would be useful for us to know as we're trying to similarly sell to our, <laughs> our own investors to support young farmers. Well, we're in the early stages of, of building these investment pools and starting our capital campaign. We are finding a lot of residents around the country with people who have started permit banks for fisheries or um, trusts in Cape Cod and California. Um, and what, what we 
find people get is that those who live in these communities, same as those who farm the land organically, sustainably, are, are the people who really are committed to the long-term health of the resource. They want to have um, a healthy fisheries to pass on to their children, and they are the voice, as you said, for healthy resources, healthy fisheries in the future. They care about the ecosystem as a whole, and they'll speak out for that. And um, we find that, that both fishermen who are well vested in the fisheries but starting to think about retirement, they care about there being healthy fisheries in the future. They care about the people who have access to those fisheries coming from the communities that have supported them. Um, but also people who are disillusioned with how money is handled that's in the stock market or other potential investing opportunities want to know tangibly where that money's going. They want to know that it's being used in ways to support environmentally responsible, socially responsible sort of new economy approaches. And um, so that that's where we're headed, and we are in the early stages of this investment pool building and, and raising capital, um, but we'd like to take it to scale quickly, and we see the need and we see the opportunity. Well, now speaking from a young farmer perspective and from a, you know, what can we do to show our solidarity between sectors perspective, you know, what occurs to me is, you know, is there a way for young farmers who are in touch with eaters down in the lower 48 and growing food and distributing it often through these kinds of new economy ways, is there a way for us to be selling your fish? Oh, I think so. I think there's lots of opportunities to collaborate um, through the CSA, CFA approach, CSF approach of providing produce and providing fish to people who want to know who har who grew that food or who harvested that seafood. Um, I, I, I'd like to see a growing presence of fishing groups and, and young fishermen at Flow Foods um, gatherings and in supporting policy that benefits this kind of connections and education about why it matters how your food is grown or harvested and why it matters who grew it or harvested and where they live and what they do and how they do it. And so how kind of concretely are, can we do that now? I remember there was a thing like, was it local ocean or... Um, Fish, fish from here, or out, our fish, or something like that. I forgot. Isn't there? There are a number of there are a number of networks that we're working with to promote community supported fisheries. Um, the community fisheries network is groups like our group, Alaska Longline Fishermen's Association, that are rooted in communities, care about healthy oceans and healthy communities, um, Fishing Community Coalition. We have a number of groups that, that we're working with. We're really interested in collaborating more with um, young farmers, with greenhorns, that kind of approach, looking to do um, campaigns where we can all come together visit the hill together in Washington with people who are from both disciplines, working in the land, working in the sea, and um, remind people who make policy that what they do affects this generation and the young people to come. 
Well, and it, you know, it always feels to me like <clears throat> the question of how this conversation across the, across the seashore um, between land and sea, you know, we're kind of landing and seeing different parts of a lot of the same phenomena and, you know, publishing a journal or making a podcast or making a movie or, you know, all the kinds of ways that nonprofits will often coordinate communication are all really wonderful. Um, But it occurs to me that maybe we should just all hang out together and drink beer more. (laughs) (laughs) That's always good. We'll bring the smoke fest to go with it. Right on. Well, Linda, I'm really grateful for your time and for your work and leadership, and I um, I just want to make sure to give you a chance to announce anything, if there's anything coming up, or um, if those who are in young farmer world are thinking about um, or are, you know, maybe thinking about their younger brother, for instance, who might need a job, uh, how do we how do we access this apprenticeship opportunity? Well, I would always encourage people to contact me. You can visit the website for Alaska Longline Fishermen's Association. Um, Alaskan Zone is our community-supported fisheries program um, where you can find out about the great seafood that we have. And um, the Alaska Sustainable Fisheries Trust is the um, investment pool group that I've been talking about and yeah, we'd love to see more collaboration between fisheries and and local foods networks that are working with young fishermen on farms. Um, And any help I can give to people who are interested in coming to Alaska and trying out fishing, I'd be happy to do that. Wow. Well, you heard it here, folks. Um, Thank you so much, Linda, and, and all of you who are involved in the community and as you're talking to your community foundation people who are, you know, coming and picking up your CSA shares, um, ask them to consider and look into Sustainable Fisheries Trust as a mission-aligned investment uh, and really keep those, keep this one, our la- one of our last healthiest wild fish ecosystems intact, thriving, and stewarded by our compadres of the sea. Thank you so much, and thank you all. I have no real announcements except that She's Away is going to be at Moses, then Audrey's going to be at Nisog, and Connor is going to be at Kivira, and so you can meet Greenhorns out in the world as you do your winter conferencing. And remember, this is the time of year to get working on your essay for the almanac. Two pages is just fine. It's due February 2016 for publication in November 2016, just in time for Thanksgiving of next year. We don't try and predict the weather, but we do try and talk about it. All right. Bye-bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.